Hey, let's kick this off. Jim Weaver is the secretary and state CIO. He leads the agency responsible for strategic IT planning in the procurement and delivery of IT services and solutions, as well as cybersecurity and efforts to expand broadband access and affordability across North Carolina. And I'm just right on the show right now, before we hopped on live, Jim told me he's a giant Yankees fan. So we're just going to throw that out there right now as part of his uh, description. And in the words of Governor Cooper, Jim is a seasoned technology leader and manager. He's well positioned to protect uh, the safety of all North Carolinians while helping to grow broadband connectivity. Jim is also an active member of the U.S. Armed Forces, previously serving in the Army National Guard in Washington and Pennsylvania, and currently serving in North Carolina. Jim, thank you for serving, and welcome to Tech Tables. Uh, thank you. Looking forward to the conversation, and like I said, diehard Yankees fan. <laughs> diehard, <laughs> diehard Yankees. I brought out the Red Sox. Uh, anytime you want to come and kiss the rings, let me know. Uh, the recent rings, or as you can tell, it Derek Jeter is a very much a fan favorite. So love the captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love sports in general, and I love the banter. We will at some point have to pick up this fun conversation in person. Before we jump into today's episode, this podcast is sponsored by Verizon Public Sector. Verizon is redefining the front line for first responders, educators, and K through twelve students. As a high school basketball coach, I work with student athletes all the time, and I love the important mission Verizon is filling at the federal, state, and local levels, working across to close the digital divide by investing in high-speed internet infrastructure, access, and affordability across the nation. To learn more about Verizon Public Sector, head to verizon.com backslash business backslash solutions backslash public dash sector. Let's kick it off today. Governor Cooper's number one priority for you, broadband. Now, broadband is critical because it provides high-speed internet access to the citizens across North Carolina, and we're in a mobile, we're in a mobile-first world, right? Where five G is super critical. But as I was researching North Carolina, there seems to be a bifurcation between the urban and rural areas. I heard you on a podcast or two before talk about this. There's about a sixty forty makeup between the urban and rural uh, areas within the state. Can you break down how you're thinking about deploying broadband to the entire state? First and foremost, I think it's important to note that the, the broadband problem in North Carolina is an entire state problem. It, it's not just a rural problem. It's also an urban problem. It's also a suburban problem. You can, amazingly as it is, here in Wake County, which is the largest county by population size in North Carolina, you can go to southeast part of the city of Raleigh and have nothing. And then likewise, that, that same type of situation uh, exists across rural areas. North Carolina, interestingly enough, I think is the second state as far as ruralness, if you will, in the country. And we also have geographical challenges here in North Carolina as well. And we're not as mountainous as you go to the western part of the country, but we do have some sizable geographical features here in North Carolina that do make it challenging at times to, to get fiber to all, all parts of the state. So we're really looking at this as trying to address this as a holistic problem. And, and so here in North Carolina, we talk about high, we're not talking about 25-3, which is how the FCC has it currently defined. We're looking at minimal of 100 down and 20 up. So 120, if you hear me say it that way. And that's not a that's not a moonshot, right? That 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 is something that is is very much achievable. But we have to get there across um, all of North Carolina. So we look at areas of the state. We look at underserved, that is those that are not hitting the 120 uh, threshold. And then we're looking at served areas as well. Where what can we do to improve? Ideally, we love to get, see a gig symmetrical at least um, all over the place. But we know that we're we got a lot of work to get there to make that happen. 
So um, Governor Cooper put forward in the budget approximately about a $1.2 billion spending proposal leveraging ARP funding opportunities that really was to provide a holistic approach to how we did broadband here in the state. And it's really focused around three areas. So it's about accessibility to the infrastructure. $600 million of that $1.2 was really targeted on infrastructure build out through a number of opportunities to predominantly around fiber, getting fiber to household locations. It was looking at um, stopgap measures that we know that we're going to be challenged to get fiber and what are the other alternatives that we can leverage like fixed wireless, uh, low earth orbiting satellites or, you know, what are the what are the capabilities that we have in the toolbox to try to provide this type of connectivity out to all North Carolinians. And so we were also then looking at affordability. And so as part of the Governor Cooper's plan, he had identified $420 million to try to help offset the cost of Internet at a household level. We know that in some cases it's two to three percent of a family's income to pay for the cost of Internet. And during the times of the pandemic and the economic upheaval that we saw in 2020, we do realize that there was choices between access to these types of benefits, if you will, versus putting food on the table. So the governor was very conscious of the fact that we need to help North, some North Carolinians out in that. And so that 420 million was focused on a population set of about 380,000 households that we believed uh, would need some type of assistance to continue to get a maintained broadband access. And then the last portion of that was around $150 million to start addressing literacy and enablement. And, and by that, I'm really about how do we educate people on the internet how do we start providing devices to individuals, especially low-income households? And we got some great nonprofits here in the north state of North Carolina, locally here, and the most immediate is a company called Cramden that really takes old computers and refurbishes them and puts basically an open system operating system on it and to the point where you just power it on and it, you get browser access to and connectivity to the internet. But as part of that, they're also doing training programs to, to make uh, folks aware of what's going on around the, on the cyber front. Because really, if you think about 10% of our state today, about 1.1 million individuals do not have access to the internet today here in North Carolina. And that's terrifying. That is a workforce. And as you look at these high tech industries that are coming in North Carolina, we just had another major economic announcement the governor made yesterday. Excuse me, I'm tongue tied. That's the Red Sox ball that's uh, throwing me off. But, <laughs> that's right. But a, an airline, a company that's focused on making the next round of sonic based jets. So we are attracting here in North Carolina a significant portion of high tech industry coming in, whether it's biotech, whether it's information technology, Apple's building their East Coast campus here in North Carolina. And they're, they're doing that because we have an infrastructure. They're doing that because we have a workforce ready to be put to work that's capable of doing the jobs that are coming here. But to sustain that, we need to make sure that we're getting all North Carolinians ready to connect onto that highway and making sure they have those opportunities. Let alone think about the economic boom when you can start bringing internet connectivity to, I hate to call them small businesses, but mom and pop shops, when they can start selling their wares and their materials across the internet, that brings a lot of tax value and benefit back in. When you think about rural North, uh, North Carolina and the agriculture industry, IOT, whether it's soil sampling, whether it's husbandry, veterinarian services, you name it, IOT can do a lot of things. Telemedicine and telehealth tax capabilities. As we're starting to see to shift away from some of the urban buildup areas and moving slowly. And, and it's our older populations that are moving away from the cities and going to heading to the rural areas. 
the rural hospitalization or hospital systems only have so much capacity. But if you can use that, that local hospital system in, in conjunction with the more um, build up health systems that are probably around more of the metropolitan areas of the state, now you have a, a totally different healthcare experience, but that you need that connectivity to make that happen. So we, we recognize this whole thing. And then woven into this really is a whole theme around equity. We know uh, a digital divide exists here in North Carolina. And so we, we know in our state that right now, 76% of white households are more likely to have a high-speed internet subscription. Uh, that number drops down to 68% for Latino communities. That number drops down to 64% for African-American communities. And that number even drops down further to 57% for Native American communities. So the governor's uh, challenge to us is I would like to see 80% across all racial subdivisions in the next, hopefully by January 1st of 2025 when, the, when his administration ends. But he really wants to put a significant impact across all the racial subdivisions so we can start addressing equity in a different manner than what has happened in the past. The other component of this, too, then, is the governor, as we saw in 2020, the governor really recognizes the impact to education as relates to the need for high-speed connectivity. And so the other challenge he has put in front of us is around, he wants all households in North Carolina with school-age children to be connected 100%. And, and so we, we have these very well-defined objectives that the governor has laid out in front of us to go get it. Unfortunately, we had this little process where it took a while for our budget to, to get processed here or passed in North Carolina. And so instead of July, it didn't occur till November. So we got set back a little bit in our time frame. But now we're getting ready to start rocking and rolling. And actually, on Monday, we're going to be opening up the first part of the affordability piece. And by the way, I should say that the while the governor had asked for $1.2 billion, the legislature basically appropriated us just a little bit south of a billion. <clears throat> but they recognized the importance of the build out of the infrastructure, and they recognized the importance around uh, literacy and enablement. The door did not get closed on the affordability piece, but fortunately on the federal side, we have what used to be the emergency broadband benefit, which is now moving to the ACP program. Unfortunately, EBB provided $50 of a subsidy to subscribers. ACP now reduces that amount to $30. So I know the governor is extremely concerned that as this transition occurs in March and go from $50 to $30, when we're seeing the average price point for internet service right now being around $57, is there going to be fallout of, of some North Carolinians and not being able to afford uh, the Internet? So while the General Assembly did not close that door on the piece of affordability, we're going to have to, the doors open for us to come back and have a conversation. But we're going to have the metrics and the data to, to show why this is extremely important. But the good news is that at least the General Assembly, the legislative front and other stakeholders are recognizing the importance not only about building it out, but we have to be able to afford it and we have to know how to use it with devices that are capable of doing it. Now, as you talk about mobility, and I'm, you'll hear me talk about in the telco world, we talk about last mile, that, that run, if you will, from middle mile to brick and mortar location. We're in a mobile world, and we should be talking about connectivity to the last user. And you'll hear me use that terminology as far as last user. And so we have to recognize that we have to get connectivity to devices and not necessarily to a brick and mortar location. So while right now today we're looking at delivering connectivity to households at addresses, we do know as we evolve and mature in this opportunity, we're going to have to start looking more at the wireless component and how do we start enabling individuals wherever they're at, whether they're at the mall, they're in their front yard. You know, schools now, as we've seen, aren't necessarily a schoolhouse. Our, our world has changed a lot because of COVID. And so we have to look at delivering service 
where and when the individual, it, it, wherever they're at and when the individual needs it. And, and so that's where some of the exciting things around 5G come into play. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. I know a number of you met Verizon's our sponsor. There's other uh, telco suppliers that are very much into the 5G arena. And we really want to look at how can we start doing some things with 5G. And I think 5G has a lot of applicability in the urban environments, probably more so than the rural areas. But nonetheless, we want to see, want to be able to add 5G into our toolbox as we're looking holistically across the state and seeing where those opportunities can come to play. That was fantastic. There was a lot there. You had mentioned the 1.1 million individuals in North Carolina who do not have that access. And when I think about there's those two parts and you hit it perfectly, right? There's the literacy and then the enablement, right? There's uh, hardware and then there's a people piece where the infrastructure needs to be set up so that people can actually hop on and we can actually close that divide that's happening right now. And since I work with high schoolers and I take these van rides with them, I know that there is a divide and I work with these kids and I work with their parents. Some of their parents don't speak English and because I have to check in with them on grades. I'm like, hey, we got league play coming up and your grades are this. What's going on? We got to close the gap. Uh, Coach, I only have on my phone half the time, or I don't even have a phone. I have this old iPad or whatever, something the school gave them. And I'm like, okay, so we need to go get you this. We need to get this in motion. It's yeah, it's a real, there's a real gap in uh, across the US, but I love how you laid it out. Um, where I live um, in Raleigh, I have 220 down and 20 up with about 17 nanoseconds of latency and I'm complaining. Yeah. And, and I feel guilty doing that because I've had some colleagues, as I'm mentioning this, and they quick did the speed test and held up their phone and they were getting three down, one up. And I'm like, oh, my, I, I just know what the end. And I can see where I live. And I'm an early riser. And that goes back to the military. But come six o'clock, I start seeing latency at six in the morning. And, and as the day. And so you can see that. And, and so it, it's just quite interesting. And again, I'm happy that I have the speeds I have. But my goodness, if I'm there complaining about how slow it is, I can only imagine what somebody's there watching paint dry, waiting for connectivity. And that's not a good experience for our children to have in learning. If, if kids are sitting there watching the screen paint and, and waiting and, and watching things spinning, they're going, their mind's going elsewhere. They're not focused on their studies and everything else. And I know when I was a child, if, if God loved my mom, Love my mom dearly, but if it wasn't for my mom, I could have probably had a different outcome, but she, she was able to keep me focused. But in today's economy, most of the time, there's probably times where children are at home without parents uh, being there. And if they're not engaged in this world, it's, I can see very easily why they're going off and, and playing a game over here or doing something that keeps them going and keeps them active. And if their schoolwork is just painting, launching paint dry, it's not a good experience. And we have to, we can do better. We have to do better. This is our, and we're at this transformational moment in our country, in our state's history here, where we can make a profound difference. And for the next generation or two, and at the end of the day, really isn't access to the internet. That's almost like a, it should be like an essential as you look at today's society and where we're at. And to have as many North Carolinians as we do that currently do not have access to sufficient bandwidth to do what they need to do. It's just atrocious. And very fortunate that the governor, again, his number one priority to me, he made that very clear at the outset. And the legislature recognizes the importance of broadband connectivity, too. And that's evident by the funding that they provided uh, to us. So this kind of brings up an interesting question for me is when you think about your team and you've had the privilege and, and the honor of serving both in the state of Washington uh, and now North Carolina. And I heard you say on another podcast that it takes a village to make anything great 
So I was wondering, hey, what does it look like? I think you said the term is up January 1st, 2025. So you've got some really good time. What does greatness look like for the North Carolina Department of IT for this administration? So again, there's a lot of things on on our plate right now to get done over the next, uh, I'll I'll just say round numbers remaining three years. Obviously, we have to carry out the governor's agenda. And the governor is very much focused on the environment, clean energy. We got some exciting legislation going through relating to the climate and going green across the board. The governor is very excited about Medicaid expansion here in our state. North Carolina still is not a state that has done Medicaid expansion, and the governor is going to continue to push forward with Medicaid expansion. But when you think about what the governor is focused on, it's really around a healthier North Carolina, an educated North Carolina, a prosperous North Carolina, and then back to the, an equitable North Carolina, and making sure that these opportunities are available for all North Carolinians, that we're not leaving anyone behind because we can't afford to do so. So really, when I look at it from what I'm focused on, obviously broadband. And we can't be successful in doing a lot of the things that we want to do in a digital world without getting North Carolina connected. And so we really need to focus in on that. Cyber, we you know we're very much have to be aware of the, the cyber activities that are going on as we respond and protect the state holistically from a cyber aspect. But then also as we look at our residents, um, our businesses, our tourists, our visitors to the state as well, and making sure that they have a safe experience here in North Carolina. We have to start looking at privacy as well. And uh, in December, we hired our state's first chief privacy officer. We got a phenomenal, talented lady, uh, Cherie Givens, here in our state now. Brings a world of experience uh, from the federal side, from the being a federal contractor as well. Working with DOD, CDC, a bunch of other entities, and three-letter agents. It's it just uh, a, a win for us here to have such a talented individual coming to North Carolina to, to help us get and launch a cyber or a, a privacy program here in the state. And then lastly, we got to talk about getting to the cloud and starting to unlock the potential of what cloud computing can bring to the state here as well. And, and I talk about these four things because I, call, I, I refer to them as the four pillars for ultimately what we need to do, and that's called digital transformation. Here in the state, pandem- the COVID, the pandemic has really forced us to get online and servicing the residents of the state. We're not digital. We very much have focused on here's our services and this is how you consume them. But we really need to flip the paradigm and think about it from the North Carolinian aspect. And and how do I engage with state government? How do I engage with local? Because really, at the end of the day, a, a resident of our state is engaging government because they're in need of something. They shouldn't have to figure out how to navigate. Is it local government? Is it my city? Is it my municipality? Is it my county? Is it the state? They're in need of a service. And technology exists today to allow the interaction of government to come together and get that individual to where they need. So we don't have a technology problem. We have a people process problem. And we really need to hone in on that. But to get to digital transformation, you need connectivity, a.k.a. broadband. You need to focus on cyber. And how do we look at identity access management of our residents? So I could be Jim Weaver living in the city of Raleigh. I could be Jim Weaver, uh, state employee. I could be Jim Weaver, small business owner. Am I Jim Weaver or am I three Jim Weavers, depending upon the persona I'm engaging in? And, and so, Jim Weaver, the Yankees fan. Jim Weaver, the Yankees fan. Yeah, I, I, I would love that one, but I don't think that works well here. If I said, hey, and Joe, if you come here, we have to go to, to uh, Durham to watch a, a Bulls game because one of the best baseball movies, as you know, is Old Durham. So... Anyway, and we got to also focus on the privacy of of the data that we're having here as well. And then obviously we need to get the cloud computing so we have that resiliency and we can get to a better experience overall for our residents in the state. 
So really, as we talk about digital transformation, it's got to be focused on a North Carolinian. It can't be focused on a particular agency or a particular agency of services. And we need to start getting folks to think a little bit more as to who we're trying to service and how easy are we making their ability to engage in government and give them to a greater, a better experience. I was always fond of saying I'm trying to, you know, pr provide the the Amazon experience with Domino's Pizza. Every, as we all go out to Amazon, Amazon already knows how to market to me and what it is I'm looking for. So I'm not having to go through everything to figure out where I want to go. But what's fun, fun about Domino's Pizza is I can see where my pizza is in the process, right? So I'm getting that instantaneous feedback, if you will. And, and really that we've got to start engaging our, our residents and our businesses a little bit more differently in that regard. And, and I throw business, everybody wants to focus on residents or citizens. I also throw our businesses because the more business friendly, this state's going to continue to grow and business opportunities. And like I said, I, there's rarely a week that doesn't go by that the governor's not making a major economic announcement here in the state of North Carolina. It's just phenomenal the growth that this state has continued to undergo. And it's been shown by the you know, census data and everything else. We were the uh, sixth largest state growth. We grew almost by a million people from 2010 to 2020, we were only behind, uh, obviously, the big four, and then Georgia, and then North Carolina was number six. So there's a reason people are coming here to this state. And again, we want to make sure that we're continuing that because this state's viability is based upon the economic impact it's going to have and, and, and those revenues that it generates to allow not only Governor Cooper, but maybe future governors to be able to go do some other things and really start addressing educational opportunities and those other areas that we talked about around health education and prosperity for our residents. I love that. Okay. So speaking of taking a village, I am really excited. I am launching a new series called the tech table, sweet talk series. These are small, intimate conversations happening live across the U S in presidential suites in hotels starting Thursday, April 21st. The first one's going to be in Phoenix with Arizona state CIO, J.R. Sloan, Many of you have been on Tech Tables before. Arizona Department of Education CIO, Elizabeth Neely. Ex-CSO for the state of Arizona, Doug Lang. Most of these are all ex-Tech Table. We love him. They've been asking me to come to Arizona. Who's Doug's actually now the director of IT at Choice Hotel Groups. Goodyear in the city of Goodyear in Arizona. CIO, Justin Fair. Plus, I got four other special CIOs. Only eight vendors in the audience. I'm only selling eight tickets. So 16 people total. Uh, live podcast. I love it. It's going to be a ton of fun. So presidential suite recordings. It's going to be a blast. That's Thursday, April 21st. And then lastly, I recently just confirmed Mandy Crawford. She's been on Tech Tables three times, but bless her heart. She's coming on again live. She's a CIO for the state of Texas. One of my favorites also. And Wednesday, May 18th in Austin, Texas, we're going to do that. Jim, do you want to come? Do you want to come May 18th? I would love, I would love to have you come to Raleigh. You, you can only go to Phoenix during certain times of the year. You can come to Raleigh here year round. And so I would welcome you to come to Raleigh. We could do something similar here. And, and again, one of the, the benefits here at Raleigh um, in this part of North Carolina is we got the research triangle and we got major uh, universities sitting around us. We got major IT vendors sitting here in this area. It's phenomenal, the talent level. Now, th what the converse of that is, unfortunately, is we're also in a labor market. So as we're looking at IT professionals, an IT professional can basically dictate where they want to go and who they want to work for. There's that much competition. We've seen already where help desk technicians are leaving state employment to go to private sector. I won't tell you how much, but it, I will say substantial raises. So that's how much this is a talent starved area because of all the vastness that's going on here. But 
we got SAS, we got Red Hat, we got IBM, we got Cisco, we got NetApp. I could just go on and on with the opportunities that are here in our immediate area. So Joe, come to Raleigh. Come to Raleigh. Mandy, I tried to get Jim to come to Austin, but he wants me to come to Raleigh. So we're gonna I'm gonna come to I'm gonna come to Raleigh. Me too, because we still need to have a barbecue kit, barbecue cook-off, and she exactly knows what's going on there. But there's a challenge between North Carolina barbecue versus Texas barbecue. <laughs> we talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that. Okay, I will ask Mandy if she will come to Raleigh. Yeah. So, my, you know, my colleague down here in Texas, Mandy, is doing some phenomenal things. And it's just great to watch the great work that she's got going on in Texas, and some of which is what we're trying to replicate here in North Carolina as well. So as our community and we will leverage each other fully to get to the outcomes that we need. So I love the great work that Manny's doing and value her insights as we move forward. Yep. Love it. Interested. So if anyone else is interested in having the, this tech table, sweet talk series, come to a city near you, just email me, Joe at techtables.com and we will make it happen because I love in-person events. And so I was trying to figure out what the next, how I can make this happen on a smaller scale. I, I think once you get past, 1620 comes a little harder, but I think smaller, intimate settings uh, are really good. And shout out to Rob Lloyd for pushing me to come up with this. He's the ex-CIO at the city of San Jose. He was asking for that. Jim, you got a unique background being the Washington State CIO before heading to North Carolina this past year. I know folks would love to hear what are two to three lessons that you could share for aspiring state CIOs? First and foremost, if you've been to one state, you've been to one state. Our, our, each state has different operating models. Each state has different authorization models that are in play too. So when I look at Pennsylvania and how we were able to interact and some of the things we were able to do, going to Washington was night and day. And in Washington, very fortunate, I worked for Democratic Governor Inslee. Again, thankful for the opportunity Governor Inslee and his administration provided for me. Getting to work with the Washington legislature, which was two thirds Democratic as well. So Washington's very much a blue state in that regard. But the what was really, in, there's some fundamental things that you need to be able to do. And first off, our business is about relationship. It's not being about the smartest person on information technology issues, because if you think you are, you're missing the boat. There, there's a reason why you have our, our supplier community that's here. There's a reason why you have the great teams that are under you as well. But and at the end of the day, our business is about relationships. And when you think about going forward with strategic initiatives, you're gonna you're gonna gravitate to those who have demonstrated value and have proven that it's not about where's my next purchase order, it's about what do you need and how quickly do you need it. So you need to build those relationships. You need to build those relationships through the supplier community, you need to build those relationships with the legislature, and you need to build those relationships across your peers in the cabinet as well. And North Carolina and, and, and to some degree, Washington had it too, where you had separately elected. So in North Carolina, we also have separately elected. And when you think about Secretary of State and the Department of Public Construction, the superintendent, the Department of Insurance, as an example, and I can go on and on, they, that form up the Council of States. They're part of the executive branch, but they're not part of the governor's jurisdiction. And so it's interesting that in Pennsylvania, the, the executive branch was well-defined. We only had... Uh, the treasurer, the auditor general, and the attorney general were the only separately elected. The rest of the government was under the governor's jurisdiction. When you went to Washington, we had basically, when you looked at all the agency boards and everything, there was 105, if I remember correctly, then the number might have shrunk or increased since I've left. But you had the executive cabinet, which is about 26 of us. Then you had the small cabinet, which was the smaller agencies. And, and then when you had everybody together, but a different style, different operating model, different authorization environments. And, and from here, living out in the West Coast as well. 
coming back to North Carolina, it's a little bit of both, which is interesting as well. But at the end of the day, it's about building those relationships. And, and that is so important in, in our business to be able to get things effectively done. Again, when we, we talk about people process technology, it's not about the technology. It's got to be about the people in the process. Again, we're leaders, we're mentors, we're educators. Think about all those types of things. And you need to be able to ask the right questions at the right time. But like, like I said, and I'm fond of saying I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. And, and so there's a reason why I'm looking at my team. The other thing is make sure you're creating a diverse as well. Diversity in thought, diversity in, in gender, diversity across racial subdivisions is extremely important as well. Because if everybody thought like I did, God help us. Appreciate open dialogue. And as I'm fond of saying, we can agree to disagree, but I will entertain a healthy discussion as to why you think we should go in a different direction. And I will tell you probably 60, 70% of the time, I'll sit there and say, you're right. Didn't think of that. Yeah, let's pivot. But you have to create that dynamic with your staff and your team that encourages those kinds of conversations and not have a, I, I guess the, uh, technically it's a blue culture type environment, but you you don't want to be directive. I'm fond of saying that the military, for all the structure and, and command and control, that's is a very agile organization at the end of the day. And, I, and some people just look at me like, what the heck's he talking about? But when you have a mission occurring, the individual who's in charge of that mission is empowered to get to do what they need to get done. So you can have a, a, a sergeant on the ground telling a colonel flying a, a, a fast mover, drop the ordinance here. And it doesn't have to go through 15 different channels to get to that person. And, and so we need to also have that agility in our organizational structure as well, which is the bureaucracies don't like, but it's really at the end of the day, you need to see and, and hear what's going on at all levels of the organization. And my team knows that I'm gonna go to the person where I know the answer can be found at. I don't need to go through three or four levels to get down there because all I effectively did was wasted their time to get an answer. And that's no value to, to us as well. I got them working on important stuff. And if I have a quick question, why should I have to go and bother them to get to the answer that I know where I need to go? So I, I think those are some of the highlights here. It's about people skills more than it is about technical skills. Now, yes, you need to be technical sufficient or proficient, but again, don't focus on the technology stuff. Learn the businesses of the agencies you're supporting and talk to your, your colleagues across the cabinet or your colleagues at, at your level in business terms, not in IT terms. You will be amazed of how quickly you get invited back to the big kids' tables, I like to call it. Oh, yeah, that's great, the big kids' table. Okay, so two to three lessons. First off, relationships. You had a great quote. You said, our business is about relationships. I love that. And it's people in process. Mm -hmm. And that is just so important. I actually... Even as a coach, I preach having relationships are the most important thing on the team versus mastering the X's and O's because the X's and O's always break down in a game. It always breaks down. And having, if they have the relationships, it's just wonders to see the kids just fall into the right spots and everything. And so I love what you shared there. And, and it's so, that key word called trust, right? At the end of the day, as a coach, and again, as we talked in the past, I coached rec ball as well. <clears throat> when the kids trust, it, it's a different, it, it's not about X's and O's. Anybody can diagram X's and O's and, and do things. John Madden made a career of it on the teleprompter. But at the end of the day, it's about trust. And, and in that moment in time that you're going to, you're trying to do the right thing at the right time. 
and that folks believe that's what the, and as we know, it doesn't always work out. So fail is the first attempt at learning. Failure is not a bad thing. It's a phenomenal learning experience. Yep, and I'm 100% with you. As we're wrapping this up, I know you grew up watching Big E's basketball, and so I always love drawing parallels. You've already probably heard of this episode of like between basketball and IT teams. What do you see on the basketball court that translates very well over to the teams that you're leading to? Again, as you look at a basketball game as an example, I go back to the word agility, right? You can have a scheme. And you can come into with a game plan. You're going to run a certain scheme. You're going to do this against a particular team, whether it's a one, three, one extended, you're running a box and one, all those kind of different things. But at the end of the day, you don't know what the other team is going to do to you. And so the basketball and even the sports analogy, it's a game of adjustments. And as we sit here and create strategic plans, as we sit here and look at very tactical plans, you still need to go and make adjustments because you, there's so many unknowns out. One of the things we look at here in North Carolina is we have our performance, employee performance process. And, and what has happened in the past is, is that projects employees were working on were woven into their performance plan. And I, when I came here, I said, why? An employee's success should not be tied to a project because there's so many things that outside of an employee's control that can derail a project. Why are we holding our employees accountable? Now, for their work on the project, I, yeah, I get it. But if you think about external stakeholders, the General Assembly, as an example, the legislature, you think about the federal uh, a change in the administration in D.C., gubernatorial changes, you name it, agency head changes. As they, there's so many things that constantly, our, our game's about change and responding to change. And when you think about a basketball uh, game, every 24 seconds is about what changes are being done, what's occurring. Your scheme changes depending upon who's on the floor, what players are there. And, and so it's that same type of maneuvering. So in many ways, you, your head coach is like your CIO, if you want to think about it from an IT perspective. It, it's really getting the right players in the right moment to go and do some phenomenal. And uh, I'm excited about, I think we're at that point in time here now where we're ready to really move forward. And this is going to be a uh, a phenomenal year for us in the IT side of the house here in North Carolina between broadband, between what we're doing on cyber privacy and starting to get some of our cloud initiatives rolling in forward. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love what you said about agility. That is exactly right. Um, you never know what's going to be thrown at you, whether it's an odd front zone or if yep. a team's going to press you and what type of press. And there's just so much that goes into that. I actually just had a I've got my own personal podcast called The Study, and I just interviewed the sniper that was with Jocko Willenick on SEAL Team 3. So he was featured in the book Extreme Ownership, if you've read that. And they talk about the four laws of combat. And the four laws are cover and move, simple, prioritize and execute, and decentralized command. And when you said trust, that's exactly decentralized command came right to mind right there. I love that. So I know we're almost out of time. Jim, I know you're a big Will Smith fan. You go first. Favorite Will Smith movie. Go. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, what I really love is Bad Boys. Okay. My, I didn't tell you mine before, but that was mine too. Going Bad Boys back. That was mine too. I didn't tell you that, but I wanted to know what yours. Yeah, mine is also Bad Boys 1, 2, and 3. Uh, they're, yeah. all, they're all so great. Yeah. Okay, so what's your favorite spot? Where do you like to hang out? LinkedIn, Twitter? Where, where... Probably on, on both on, equally on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, less about Facebook. So I'm more on the uh, professional side. Again, a lot of times I'm, I have a lot of uh, contacts and connections on the military that are on Facebook. And it's rewarding to sit there and soldiers you mentored in their career as they're getting promoted, as they're having families and all that kind of stuff. It's great to stay in connection uh, with them. 
when we talk about social media, it's, it's Twitter and LinkedIn more so than anything else. Awesome. Thank you for coming on Tech Tables. It was super fun to have you this morning. Great. And Joe, I'm, I'm serious. Come to Raleigh. We'll, we'll host you. We'll have a good time. Yeah, I'm going to make I, it happen. I didn't even talk about golf here yet. Come on. We got the, oh, I know. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it.